This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 286 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek, available for download or streaming on Monday, September 12th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. All right, Kenna, what do we have coming up this week? Well, this week in Trek It Out, Elijah and I are talking conventions. We're talking the latest big hint from Star Trek Discovery and an exciting new initiative from the Roddenberry Foundation. In Star Trek Online news, we're looking at some new features for the PC version currently available to test, and sharing some early thoughts about the launch of console. Later, Jake is here with more exciting Star Trek products in the promenade. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We say it every week, Captains. We want to keep the conversation going with you. So visit us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, we had a very special event on Thursday, September 8th, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We joined some of our patrons using the Showgoer plugin on Google Chrome to sync up our Netflix viewing of Star Trek the original series, The Man Trap, the very first episode aired on public television. So if you're interested in how you can join in on the fun, visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's check out the latest news from the world of Star Trek. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Captains, it's convention season, and many of us are still recovering from its effects. Some with con crud, we wish you a speedy recovery. Others with post-con depression, we feel you. Others still talk about it around the water cooler with unbridled enthusiasm. I, my co-workers have told me to shut up. <laughs> and even though we sometimes have qualms with the showrunners of the convention, nothing could be worse than what happened in June of 1982. Now, I've heard stories about this in passing. Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek, has spent much of the last several years developing his documentary, The Con of Wrath. However, I really had no idea of the extent of this convention's failure. This convention's glorious failure, to be honest. Ars Technica released an article on September 9th that did a wonderful job summing up the experience. Promoted as a multimedia extravaganza with laser light shows, live musical performances, and Trek-themed stage sets, Houston, Texas's 1982 Ultimate Fantasy Convention was supposed to bring in 17,000 fans from around the world. Well, 
You know that quote from the film Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. Yeah, well, no. Only about 10% of that original number came. Some of the workers and guests barely got paid what they were promised. It really was a, 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 a beautiful disaster. However, the show went on, and none of the actors walked out. And according to Larry Nemechek, quote, It really is the most glorious failure. All the actors, the fans, the dealers, and the organizers did something to make this happen. End quote. Wow, so this is a documentary that's coming out soon, is that right? Yes, Larry Nemechek has been working on this and he's been compiling a lot of data. If you go to his Portal 47 website, got a lot of this type of information there. This was this was one of those beautiful failures kind of thing. <laughs> it, it ended up working out. As you read the Ars Technica article, Walter Koenig took kind of directorial role during the convention and started organizing what the events were going to be, started giving away light cues and scripts. It was it was pretty intense, actually. The story is pretty intense. Wow. Um, it is kind of amazing to me, actually, because these conventions, if you if you, if you you step away from all the, like, the fun and the hoo-ha, because it is loads of fun, you think, God, this is an enormous event that's put on for a very niche group of people. <laughs> right. And sometimes right. you think, God, it's an, it is amazing that, that these things can can go off without a hitch and they and they keep coming back. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. Like Vegas, the the scope of Vegas and how many people mm-hmm. were there and everything that was going on. Like that's a lot of coordination for a relatively neat. I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek fans, granted, but it's it's relatively niche corner of society. You know, it's not a very broad appealing topic. You know, right. So right. I, you know, I, I think it's impressive. But therein lies the beauty. Mm. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of conventions, I kind of wanted to talk to you, Elijah, about Mission New York, which was the the convention you were at uh, over Labor Day weekend, and versus Star Trek Las Vegas, because I got the feeling from talking to you that they're actually quite different. And I was hoping that you could talk a bit about what what the differences were and, 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 you know, what was good, what was bad. Okay, so I've been going to Star Trek Las Vegas now. uh, 2016 was my fifth year in Mm -hmm. a row going to Las Vegas. Honestly, had it not been because of Priority One, I probably would have skipped a few years in between. Right. You know, it is a big event. Now, the first few years that I had attended Las Vegas... It was a little, it it was a little underwhelming. I had already been to creation conventions locally and I just felt that it was, it was a bit bigger, right? It was, it was, it was just more space Mm -hmm. and a few more vendors. However, in the last two and a half years, creation has started to bring in different attractions. So for instance, the original series bridge, right? uh, Cork's bar. Mm Mm-hmm. The Borg alcoves. Yeah. The art panels along the walls of the hallway at the Rio as you're walking towards the convention you know, theater and, and, the, and the vendor halls. Yeah, the stuff that you do that isn't just the panels and the vendor's hall. Right, yeah. right, right. Doing these things adds a level of social interaction with the other convention attendees, especially something like Cork's Bar, mm-hmm. especially something like karaoke. Karaoke has been there for several years, and that's always a hot. That was that was like the highlight of it. Mm-hmm. For me. My biggest qualm with with creation is a, a little bit of the behind the scenes organization. Right, we are exhibitors there, mm-hmm. and it can it can be a little challenging to have that be organized. Right. In comparison, working with Reed Pop behind the scenes was smooth as ice yeah they were very communicative we applied for the press pass they granted it to us we got a nice little official letter in the mail a cool little badge it it just it it ran much more smoothly than than a creation event right 
But a question for you is, you know, from our perspective, that's something that we are paying attention to. But do you think that affects the fans? Because I'm not sure that people who had attended Las Vegas as just attendees, as fans, would have experienced that or in any way seen the effects of that. Well, this particular year, during the 50th anniversary, creation went under a significant amount of scrutiny because they had, there seemed to have been a very significant amount of disorganization or bad PR. Mm. Uh, They had released the ticket prices. They sold out of their first wave of tickets. And then they jacked up the price during the second wave of of general admission ticket sales. And that did not go over well. Yeah. Right. So as a convention attendee or trying to attend the 50th anniversary or any Star Trek convention to see that happen, it does a disservice to the fan base. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. it ends up seeming like a, a, a money grab. Right. Oh, yeah. we, fr- we sold the first wave. This is your next chance and it could be your last. Yeah. And we jack up the price. Now, they rolled back. Right. And they redacted that pricing and even refunded people who had spent the money on the price mm-hmm. difference. Which I think was a good move. So there are there are instances that creation drops the ball a little bit on the fandom mm-hmm. with towards the fans. Okay. Reed Pop, on the other hand, was very engaging with the fans, yeah. right? Not only at, with other Star Trek notables, but just general fandom. You know, even on my own personal Twitter mm-hmm. account, they were retweeting, they were favoriting, they were responding, they were active as a team to to generate buzz over this new convention. I I would agree with that assessment because I even noticed that on Facebook and Twitter, which I spend a lot of time on both sites, they were very engaging, very Mm -hmm. um, enthusiastic, very active, which was not something that we got from creation with regards to Las Vegas. So I agree with you on that. So so now we get to the actual convention, you know, and the content. So I was I was really, really looking forward to what Reed Pop did. Unfortunately, I was I was a little bit underwhelmed. Everything went smoothly, right? Everything everything pretty let me say everything pretty much went smoothly. Mm -hmm. Because there was a moment where uh, during one of the main stage panels uh, there weren't enough seats for people. Yeah, and I don't think that happened at Creation. If I don't, I don't know this for a fact or not, but I'm, but I'm pretty sure the main stage at the Rio seats the amount of tickets. Yeah, right. So if you buy a ticket and you're general admission, you're, you're, you are more than likely going to get into a main main stage event. I don't remember hearing anybody at Creation going, "Oh man, I, I couldn't get into the TNG panel yeah. or Shatner or whatever." Whereas with Reed Pop, there was that main stage theater was 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 way too small. Yeah. Right. So people were left out, and people took to Twitter, people took to the actual app that they had released mm-hmm. to to complain about that. And they also they weren't clearing in between, so you could right. theoretically camp there for the whole day and not let anyone else get a chance. Right. You can camp in your seat in the main stage, and and you know that's it. Which I don't know how much of a pain that would have been. I, I don't know. I don't know if that was the solution. Uh-huh. I think that the solution really would have been to just have moved it to a different space in the in the Javits. The Javits Center is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like ridiculous huge. Yeah. They only used a fraction of the size of the Javits Center, so I'm I'm a little surprised that they didn't have enough seats to accommodate. Right. In terms of content, you know, NASA had a huge presence there. The majority of the panels were were very science oriented, mm-hmm. uh, with talks from from NASA scientists astronomers and astronauts yeah 
and there was there was there's there definitely wasn't weren't as many guests as there would be at Star Trek Las Vegas. Right. The vendor hall was on the north pavilion of the Javits Center, which I, I want to say is about the size of a football field, maybe a little smaller. Right. You know, like the field itself, yeah. not the stadium, but a field itself. And towards the back of the of the vendor hall was chairs and tables for food, and they were selling food there. And I was surprised to see the the low number of vendors at the convention themselves. Really? Right. There were a few. Yeah, there were a few sellers. There were a few vendors that were selling actual Star Trek memorabilia. Yeah. NASA had a huge presence towards the front. And then, of course, Roddenberry had a very large panel. They had a big display. But Mac wasn't there mm-hmm. at the way they were at the Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah. I don't, actually, I don't think Mac was even there at all. The TOS bridge was brought down from Ticonderoga, New York. And it was only part of the bridge. It's, it wasn't a bridge experience like at Star Trek Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like a Quark's Bar. Uh, there was nothing like a Borg alcove. There was there was nothing of that. And I, and I regret that that was the case. Yeah. This felt like a creation event from 2012. Right. Right. And not only that, where it was a little underwhelming, but socially it felt a little – Jace used this term to, to describe the entire convention. It felt a little sterile. Yeah. And the best way to describe it is that this felt like a, a Comic-Con. Right. That was hyper-focused in Star Trek, but still had that Comic-Con feel that, like, there's – I don't know how to describe it, really. I think, like I said, Jace, I think it explained it really well by saying it was sterile, that there was very little social engagement yeah. with everybody else, right? Whereas in Vegas, you have something like Cork's Bar. Yep. You had something like the karaoke night. Yep. And then, of course, you have the, the hotel bars like the Masquerade and the – the I-bar. Yeah, well, this was one thing that I wanted to talk to you about because the atmosphere in Vegas, because it's very self-contained, like you could right. you could never leave the Rio for a whole week. Exactly. And it's all, and everyone there mostly is from the convention. So it's just wherever you go, it's people in costume, partying, having fun on their way to events or whatever. Whereas it came across as Mission New York was very much inside the building. It's very Trek. Uh, and then once you leave, everyone disperses. And I was a little bit concerned that you, you would miss out on that whole experience of rolling out of the convention into the masquerade bar. Right. <laughs> Where then Here's you the, just carry it on into the night. Right. And, and that's the, that, I think, is probably the biggest difference. I, 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 was, I forgot who I was speaking to about the convention. But the thing about having a niche convention like Star Trek, a convention dedicated solely for Star Trek, mm-hmm. is that the social atmosphere is probably one of the most inclusive atmospheres you will ever experience in your entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, we are some of us, including myself, mm-hmm. you know, ha- I have a little bit of social anxiety being able to just walk into a crowd of, a crowded bar and start engaging in conversation. It's not it's not what I do. I don't like doing that. Yeah. At Vegas, however, everybody is always talking to each other. Yeah. Right? There there is and there's not a fear of who's this person talking to me? I don't want to talk to you. Go away. You know, like you don't fear you don't feel that. It felt like summer camp to me. Well, <laughs> oh, I never went to summer camp. So I, I <laughs> but but what I know is that the closest thing I've ever experienced is building a show, a production, a musical production, stage production with a cast. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that there's a there's a camaraderie there's an intimacy there's this there's a a relationship that is built a chemistry that is already existing there 
Yeah. And at Star Trek Las Vegas, like you said, you don't have to leave the Rio to try to find something to do. Yeah. Right? The Quark's Bar is open late, and after Quark's Bar closes, you go to the Masquerade Bar or I-Bar or Shutter, and and you party you could the party goes on till till the wee small hours of the morning and th- that's really key i think because um a lot yes. of people like where i live there are not really trek fans i mean i'm sure right. there are people who like star trek but they're not fans in that sense and to right. to be in a place where everyone's a fan and you can just totally geek out with people well and you know talk about other you know normal stuff that's right. a that's a huge draw for me yes and it's a yeah. huge part of I'm going to make all of that effort because I want to go and hang out with people like me <laughs> because right. I never get to otherwise. That's so, a, that makes a big difference. It is. And it's and it's something that that's what causes that post-con depression, mm, right? Yeah. And now, I don't know that I, I hear that Dragon Con is also very kind of gets that same feel, yeah. you know, um, it, but Dragon Con is still huge, right? Yeah. You can still kind of get lost in the crowd. Even even during Star Trek Las Vegas this last year, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's it was a big crowd, but people spoke to one another conversations were engaging yep. nobody nobody attacked anybody yeah you know it was it's just it is like i said probably one of the most inclusive experiences you'll ever feel is attending a star trek convention yeah particularly star trek las vegas yep. because as you mentioned it's all in, it's all in that one space in the in the rio and you can always find somebody to talk to yeah you know in fact, I, I have to mention that I, there were quite a few people that I met in Vegas who right. had attended by themselves. The, yeah. They went yeah. all the way to Vegas by themselves mm-hmm. to hang out with their Star Trek family. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. even if you know nobody, by the time you leave, you end up with a Star Trek family where if you are in New York, that might not happen so easily because where do you go after the con? You, right. There's not any you know official get-togethers or anything. I mean, there's quite a few events going around. But you right. have to get there, and it's a different place, and it's not as easy for you to just roll out of the convention into a social situation. Right. And so, in comparison, Reed Pop, you know, the convention was was 10 to 7, you know, on most days, on, on Friday and Saturday. It closed on Sunday at 5. Mm-hmm. And it, it really fell to local Star Trek fans, like um, Michael Gwynn of the New York City Away team, to put together after hour events after convention events i mean the await the new york city away team had a great turnout they had karaoke at oluni's bar in times square uh, i attended i was there till the wee small hours <laughs> of the morning with terry lynn and starfleet mom we partied and we partied well and i actually even got stranded in new york city uh, thanks to traffic yeah <laughs> but i i think that that if Reed Pop is going to continue to do this, mm-hmm. it needs to evolve, and it should evolve very quickly. Yeah, uh, they should have a Quark's Bar. They should have after-hour events or late-night events. I mean, it is New York City, right? Yeah. Or they should reach out to local bars or local places to try to arrange some type of special after-hours party. Yeah, the social activities. So, yes, the yeah. social activities, because that social aspect is what makes. A Star Trek conventions worth it. Yeah. Right? And I creation learned over the course of 2012, 2013, and then finally, you know, they introduced the Bridges and the Borg Alcoves and Quark's Bar in 2015, I think part of it in 2014. And they adapted, right? They adapted and they, and, and now, you know, Star Trek Las Vegas is, is a very, very happen in place. Yeah. At least do it once, right? Yeah. At least try to do it once. Yeah. 
So I think ReadPop should evolve the, the convention experience to be much more social, yeah. uh, much more engaging for the fans to, to be able to interact in an environment, in an all-inclusive, in an, a very inclusive environment that is low pressure, no, you know, uh, the, the conversation is going to be about Star Trek and get people engaged. Yeah. Now, I'm sure people are arguing, well, it was New York City, you know, New York City people, they're just, you know, nobody wants to talk to one another. That's not true. If we can all get together in Star Trek Las Vegas from all corners of the world, yeah. New York City is no different. You know, New York City is no different. Like, you know, I think that there should have probably been an event at the Intrepid, you know, something something special at the Intrepid. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a missed opportunity. Again, things like Quirk's Bar, you know, things like a, a full bridge, thanks to the folks over at Star Trek Continues who have brought that bridge down. That was an awesome little added bonus there that you could take a picture on the bridge. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the, 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 the thing I missed most about Reed Pop's event in Mission, Mission New York, was that social aspect. Yeah. Right, and and it, it it fell upon local groups to put some, to try to put something together, and even then it was like, how do you get the word out? Yeah. You know, how do you how do you get the word out? Uh, how do you promote this and try to get people to go? I was talking to one of the vendors actually, and one of the other you know concerns is that it's at the Javits Center, and unfortunately the Javits Center is kind of in, you, you, when you think New York, what's really in the middle of nowhere, but it's it's on the it's on the on the Hudson River docks pretty much it's on the pier almost it's not near any particular bar it's a little in the quote-unquote middle of nowhere of new york city where you have to you have to go a little bit out of the way even try to just get a cab kind of thing yeah so if they're going to do something like this again at at a place like the javits center they they should really set up for for social events either in the javits center or off-site and announce it and promote it right make it a little bit easier for that social aspect but the question is, would you go? Will you go back to missions? Yeah, yeah, I would go back. Yeah. I would go back again. And I think that I think that this was. I think they're going to listen to that feedback. I think they're going to adapt as they continue. I mean, it's. I got an email saying, "Hey, thanks for you know, thanks for showing up." It was a general email to everybody who attended. Thank you for making this a great experience. Stay tuned for other missions throughout the country. Oh, okay. So it sounds like they're going on the road with this. I hope that they do something, you know, even if it's something small like karaoke. Yeah. You know, like that karaoke goes a long way, you know, especially that even Federation of Beer was there. They were serving uh, their 50th anniversary ale. You know, th- things like that go a long way to make the experience just one step above the other conventions. Right. Well, anywho, while we're on the topic of Star Trek missions, there was one piece of news, or recording rather, that didn't make it into last week's episode. And that is the biggest announcement to come from the Star Trek Discovery panel. Kristen Beyer announced that she would be acting as liaison for a series of Star Trek tie-in novels published by Simon & Schuster and comics published by IDW. Let's go ahead and listen to that announcement. In addition to the series and to go along with the series, CBS Consumer Products is partnering with two of our publishing partners, Simon Schuster and IDW, uh, to produce um, at least one novel to start with and a series of comics that will be tied to uh, the new series. I know Jace was really excited about the announcement, and you can be sure that he'll be reviewing those pieces of literature as they are released. 
Well, in our next piece of news, in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the first U.S. broadcast of Star Trek, the Roddenberry Foundation hosted a special screening of the episode at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and that was on September 8th. But the real draw of the event was the announcement of a new initiative from the Roddenberry Foundation, the philanthropic organization founded by Rod Roddenberry, who's, if you didn't know, was Gene Roddenberry's son. So beginning in 2017, the Roddenberry Foundation will be giving out a whopping $1 million a year in prizes to individuals and groups with unique ideas to help further the vision of the foundation. Quoting the press release, The inaugural Roddenberry Prize consists of one $400,000 grand prize and four $150,000 innovation awards. The Roddenberry Prize is open to anyone, from nonprofit institutions to individual garage tinkerers, who has an innovative solution that could benefit humanity in areas as diverse as poverty, obesity, education, or the environment. End quote. The prize is part of the foundation's hashtag boldly better campaign, a social media initiative intended to increase the public's engagement with its ideal of a boldly better future. Now, if you're interested in applying for the prize, applications are now open, but be quick. The window closes on November 16th of this year for the 2017 prize. For more information, you can go to the Roddenberry Prize website at roddenberryprize.org. And of course, we'll leave a link in our show notes as well. How awesome is that? It's pretty cool. That's a lot of money. That is a lot and that's of money. A One year, that, million dollars. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's that's a yearly prize. That's not just like a one-off deal. That's uh, setting it up for the future. For the betterment of the future. The betterment. The boldly better future. In Star Trek Discovery News, Brian Fuller took to Twitter this week and revealed that the original series Balance of Terror is a, quote, touchstone for the Star Trek Discovery story arc, end quote. If you don't remember this episode, I'm going to recommend something that I seldom ever suggest. Stop this podcast and go watch that episode. Go! Do it now! But come back! Please? Are you back? Okay, good. So, now you've learned that this is the episode that introduced the Romulans and established some backstory for the Romulan Federation relationship. Now, in this episode, it had been established that a hundred years had passed since the Federation made contact with the Romulans. So, I don't know what this story is going to look like. Like, what is it a retcon, do you think? Some kind of, like, are we going to see some Section 31 story? The one that we had hoped would have developed with, with Trip before Enterprise was cancelled? Maybe Trip is still alive somehow, and they have to go save him. Maybe, maybe he's frozen in carbonite. Oh dear. Hashtag cross the streams. <laughs> don't cross the streams. Even even saying don't cross the streams is crossing the streams. But yeah, I, I read that and I thought, hang on, because we've been talking a lot about the Klingon war for Discovery. Right, right. But that was all about the Romulans and that conflict. Having said that, you know, saying that it's a quote-unquote touchstone is a a very broad (laughs) hint. That could mean anything. The the thing that I really liked about Balance of Terror was that whole, the way that they presented um, the Romulans and the Federation as almost... It was so Cold War. Yeah, it was very, but it was very two sides of the same coin. Right. And uh, it's an interesting discussion, and that the the tension in that episode is is uh, really intriguing. So, which everyone will know because they stopped this podcast to go and watch it. That is true. So you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have a, a Star Trek Discovery is going to be all about Romulans. That, that I don't I don't quite read it like that. I quite I read it more as in that that feeling and that examination of the two different sides is 
probably, you know, uh, is going to be a theme of what we're going to see, is, is the way I read it anyway. And finally, a quick shout out to Dr. Robert Hurt, who in celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary last week, produced a beautiful rendering of a new infrared image from NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope, which has a striking resemblance to some familiar starship shapes. Straight from the JPL website, quote, On the right of the image, with a little scrutiny, you may see hints of the saucer and hull of the original USS Enterprise captained by James T. Kirk, as if it were emerging from a dark nebula. To the left, its next-generation successor, Jean-Luc Picard's Enterprise-D, flies off in the opposite direction. End quote. And I have to say, having Dr. Hurt on the Priority One team is an absolute privilege, and it is amazing to say, hey, we know that guy! <laughs> know, right? Isn't it awesome? It's so Isn't cool. It awesome? oh. So we can always look up to the sky and the Enterprises will be protecting us. Oh, wow. Now, let's get Mark in on the discussion and find out what's happening in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online News, where Mark and I bring you the latest news of the week from Star Trek Online. This week, the big news was the release of Star Trek Online on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. We'll cover that in a minute, but first, there are some changes coming down the pipeline that are now available for players to try out on the Tribble test server. The big change going on is the new lighting engine has been put live on Tribble. Quoting the patch notes, This upgrade includes a host of new lighting technology which will significantly improve the visual quality and is in line with the visual quality coming out with Star Trek Online for Xbox One and PlayStation 4. There are some caveats around the change though. Low graphic settings may have issues in quality and DirectX 9 and DirectX 10 graphics cards will cause a crash when attempting to log in. These are reportedly temporary issues though and should be resolved before the change is pushed to the live holodeck server on PC. Now, we've already seen some previews of the new lighting thanks to the weekly lighting updates blogs and for those of you who are already playing on console, you'll have already seen the effects for yourself. But this is great news for any exclusive PC players. While the lighting changes have been teased as coming this fall, it seems as though the live deployment could be just around the corner. Another minor tweak that's actually kind of epic, shall we say. Reddit user Subcommander Kananra noted last Saturday that on the test server you can now upgrade kits and kit modules. Now this is a feature that's been teased for a while now, albeit low-key, but it represents the last bastion of gear that was a little stuck in the past. Now, this was a bit of a stealth patch, there's no mention of it in the Tribble server patch notes, but at least this time it's one that is likely to benefit players. Moving on from the will be here someday to the is here today, it's time to talk about the release of Star Trek Online on console. Funnily enough, neither Mark nor I have really gotten to play it yet, as of this recording, since it was on a delayed release outside of the United States. In the UK, on the Xbox at least, we didn't have it in the store until Friday, September 9th, a full three days after the US launch. But we're not bitter. Much. Next week, we'll be talking more about our thoughts on console, but today we'll be talking to our men on the ground, our audio editor Gavin, for a discussion all about the launch and our early impressions. But before we get to that, we've got a couple bits of information about console content. We are approaching a new phase of SEO news, reporting on the main PC game, and now the updates for the console release. Our legal team has advised me to state the following piece of STL news is relating to the console release of Star Trek Online only. I repeat, the console version only. Now that's out of the way, let's move on. 
the first lockbox for PlayStation and Xbox is our Cardassian Dominion lockbox. For any of our new listeners coming to Star Trek Online through the console version, lockboxes are premium random loot boxes. They can be opened with master keys bought through the Exchange or the Zen store, and typically contain some of the best ships and gear in-game. The top prizes in this lockbox are three ships, the Tier 6 Cardassian Keldon Cruiser, the Tier 6 Jem'Hadar Dreadnought Carrier, and the Tier 6 Jem'Hadar Heavy Escort Carrier. And for those of you who play the PC version, we have come across these ships before, but for our new console players, Mark is going to give us a quick rundown. The Cardassian Keldon Cruiser is heavy on the engineering side, and it also features seating for up to two Intel Specialization Bridge Officers. It also comes with a special console, the Spiral Wave Disruptor Lance. This is a special ability that deals heavy disruptor damage on a narrow cylindrical area. The Tier 6 endgame ships also come with a starship trait to earn. The Keldon unlocks Insidious Tactic, which boosts critical chance and damage when activating Aceton Beam, Surgical Strikes, or Torpedo Transport Warhead. Owning the Keldon also gives you the ability to purchase special Spiral Wave Disruptor Space Weapons from the Dilithium store, which are otherwise locked. The Jem'Hadar Dreadnought Carrier is slightly more tactical, but also provides good engineering standing. This one is designed for use with Command Specialization Bridge Officers. The Enhanced Dominion Command Interface Console allows you to analyse a target's weak point, damage your enemy enough while a vulnerable system is exposed and that system will be knocked offline. The trait for this ship? Dominion Coordination activates when using Beam Overload, Surgical Strikes or Cannon Rapid Fire. Your hangar pets, aka bots that live inside your carrier, will receive an increase to their damage. Finally, the Heavy Escort Carrier is our pure tactical focus ship, with more tactical consoles, space for an Intel Bridge Officer and a Pilot Bridge Officer. The console, Enhanced Dominion Coordination Protocol, grants your team a suite of buffs for a short time, and finally the trait, Tactical Analysis, boost hull regeneration when you activate tactical team. There's a lot more detail on these ships available in the official blog post and we'll be sure to put a link to both the Xbox and PlayStation versions in our show notes at priorityonepodcast.com forward slash PO286. And finally, Captains, we said we'd get to it eventually, but let's just go ahead and talk about the news that has dominated our thoughts for the last several months. Console is finally here. So to help us talk about it today, we've let one of our audio editors out of his box for a few minutes to chat with us. Gavin, welcome and thanks for joining us. No problem. Good. So you are currently pretty much the only member of the team who's actually managed <laughs> to get your hands on a copy of the console version of you're Star Trek lucky Online. Thing you're. It does <laughs> seem to be that way, yes. So um, explain to us, uh, what version are you running? I'm running it on my PlayStation 4, which I was able to download late on Wednesday evening UK time. Okay, so that's that's a day after the, the US launch. And uh, were, were you able to go in and get your 50th anniversary Prize. It was there this morning when I logged in very early before I was getting ready for work, yes. Okay, yeah, because this is uh, something that slightly irked me, shall we yeah. say. I'm going to put not that you, in a diplomatic way. Yeah, because I was really, really excited for console launch. Totally disappointed on Tuesday that it wasn't simultaneous across the globe. Um, and especially disappointed yesterday as we record this, which was uh, Thursday, the 8th of September. So that's the official... 50th anniversary of Star Trek and to their credit uh, the developers gave away a 23rd century bundle uh, for free and that was available on on PC on Xbox and PlayStation 
if you had those versions. So I did manage to snag it on PC, but I've missed it now on the Xbox because uh, the Xbox version only just came out uh, today, so Friday as we record this. But you managed to snag it, did you, Gavin? I did, yes. So I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit more about that timing because this is something that I, I it really it it dampened the excitement for me. I don't think it was very clear that it wouldn't be rolled out simultaneously and the focus seemed to be all around the US release and okay they are in the states <laughs> but all of the all of the promotional materials and things were announcing Tuesday the 6th and every time I saw a tweet or a Facebook post saying it's now live go and play it and I You're just going, no, really wanted to shout I can't I was so disappointed I don't know if that's a normal thing and I think to be fair we need to point out that it's probably out of their hands you know, it'll be in the hands yes, of that, that is, Xbox, but yes important to point out but what we also didn't get which I what I think would have been nice to have was an updated release schedule so that Star Trek Online was updating us to say it's now available on the UK Xbox store, it's now available in Germany, or it's now available on the PlayStation store. Because what I ended up having to do was just keep logging in over and over and over again and searching for Star Trek Online and being really disappointed every time. Oh yeah, you, I mean, remember the messages I was sending? I was setting my alarm for like 6 o'clock in the morning, earlier than when I would normally get up, just so I could check and if it was there, start downloading it. Yeah, so and it it's not a small download. No, God, no. Yeah, so when I was downloading it this afternoon, it was 15 gigabytes. Uh, That's on the Xbox. You didn't happen to notice how big it was, did you, Gavin? It was about 14.6 on the PS4. Okay, so it's a similar size. That's not quick (laughs) to download. I let it go uh, for a couple of hours, um, and then it was ready when I got back. So that was fine. So if you're if you're sitting down on a Friday evening and you just want to play, you're going to wait for a little while before you can actually do anything. Talking about the release schedule, I do remember reading something on Reddit that uh, did detail that the EU would receive it one day late, but it didn't tell you whether that was GMT or European Standard Time or, or any of that. So like you, I just kept logging in and kept trying to find it. Uh, I I was aware of a trick that people were using to create a US account on their Xbox and PS4s to download it, but I I didn't want to go that way. Yeah, no, I didn't want to go that way either. I had heard about that, but to be fair, I'm whinging. It's a few days. It's no big deal. And probably the only reason I even care so much is because I had really hoped to get my hands on it and play it before we recorded this episode because I would have really liked to actually ha- you know be able to talk about it in depth but you know such is life eh? yeah and messing a freebie you know just to throw that one back out there yeah to be fair though that the freebie while it was nice was mostly cosmetic so there was uniforms and things would have liked to have but again you know there's we haven't even released agents of yesterday on console yet which we'll get onto later so it's it, it, I, I can let it go but still do miss free stuff. <laughs> hmm. So, Gav, you're the only one who's actually played it now. Can you give us some of your first impressions? Um, especially, I want to talk about in terms of performance and the lighting and uh, the ease of play. Like, how how was it transitioning from from PC onto the console? 
In terms of performance on my PS4, I didn't really see any significant difference between other very graphically intensive console games that I play, such as Assassin's Creed or the Tomb Raider series, things like that. The new lighting that is fully released on the console seems to be just as comparable as what I've seen on Tribble for the PC. It's it's very pretty, it's very smooth, even really high detail areas like ESD and Starfleet Academy have a really good stable frame rate and I haven't noticed any significant juddering or stutters or loss of performance as it were. And in terms of, uh, have you, where where have you managed to play to in the game so far? I started a Federation character. I played all the way through the tutorial and the first three story missions. So I'm still fairly low level. I've I've spent a lot of time just exploring the systems that I'm already used to on PC. So things like how do inventories work and equipping stuff or ground and space and how does the store work and things like that so I've just been exploring the technical side of the game more than really playing the content that I'm already used to Did you feel like you could pick it up straight away or I mean I know you've been exploring these things but did you feel like you had to or did you feel like that was just a a nice thing for you to do to get you used to the game? I wanted to get used to it because for me it's, it's an opportunity to perhaps play Star Trek Online in a more relaxed environment, you know, after a hard day work or, you know, you're tired, you just want to sit on the sofa, grab a controller and play some Star Trek. So I've I've been exploring it in that respect. It won't replace the PC for me that I'm far too invested on PC, but as a a form of relaxation and fun, I, I think I can get into it. So I, I've been just been looking around and familiarising myself with the differences between console and PC and how it all glues together. Now, that's interesting that you say that because Mark and I were talking before we started recording about PC players and console players, and I didn't really think that people would go between. I kind of think that people will either stay on PC and just play PC or just go to console and just play console because it does take a lot of time investment. Do you think you'll go back and forth? To a degree, yes. Um, as, as I said, I, I won't drop the PC. I, I'm far too invested in that over the last five and a half years. But for just kicking back and, you know, just, just being able to relax and to, to a certain degree, even not having to interact with anybody and just play the game for me is a, is a draw <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. You know, I understand that because I, I tend to play solo, so I understand that feeling. Okay, so do you have any other thoughts that we haven't covered already? I haven't found any significant game-breaking bugs. There, I have, I have read some reports of game crashes and other strangeness on Reddit for both consoles, but so far I haven't seen anything like that. It's been a virtually flawless experience other than some concerns I have particularly over over a couple of controls and uh, some of the visual things as well on the UI. Um, do, you want, do you want to talk about that just to point those out because um, I'm curious. Okay so first of all I on, on the PC side of things I'm very much a space person. I, I find uh, I'm not particularly in, invested in, in ground. But on the console I found ground 
combat and you know just walking around and interacting things was actually a little more intuitive and I've, I found it easier and I found it quite comfortable to get used to the ground side of things on the console however I think where for me it falls over as a PC player is is control in space I, I the, the best way I can describe it really is is that you can't achieve the same level of, fin- of finesse in space as as you can on the PC. You you can't react fast enough uh, because you've got to use these radial controls and things. Exactly, boff power management at low level is already quite difficult, and I think that when you expand towards level sixty and when they release the reputation system, and then you get things like the reputation clicky powers you've got clicky powers from consoles because all of this will eventually become available you you don't necessarily want half of these things on any kind of auto execute system you want to be able to just hit them when you need them and i i think that is going to be difficult for pc players to adapt to but i i don't necessarily think it will be difficult for new players just on console to to figure out they're already used to that well that was what i was going to ask you is while it may be difficult or awkward compared to what you're used to playing on the pc do you think it will actually materially impact the experience of a new player who has only ever played console do you think it actually makes the game difficult or is it just maybe you'll just have to get used to not having that level of finesse available i don't think it will impact any console players at all until the console community starts on mass leveling up and and getting all these things that they can do and and start integrating that into their builds and what they want to do and i think there will become a point where it, it will be a crunch point where people will go hang on how, how can we manage all of this stuff that we're given and we have access to with four buttons. Okay. Well, I think that's definitely a question that we're going to have to explore in more detail because that that question of how is the community going to evolve on the console is a, is a really good one and one that I'm sure that we're going to we're going to tackle a few times in the next several weeks, I would imagine. Yes, I'm sure we'll see that. <laughs> so I wanted to just emphasize for anyone who's listening is that this it's not quite the full game yet so i mean it's it's not they haven't left out pieces of the story but you're at the moment getting a slightly limited experience there there the latest blog post has said that there are still some things to come on both the playstation and the xbox version including fleet holdings R&D, sorry, that's research and development, uh, the admiralty system, duty officer system, and of course the entire expansion of Agents of Yesterday. So what you're getting is a slightly slightly less recent version of the full game, but all of that stuff is coming um, in a future update, isn't it? I believe so, yes. Well, Gavin, thank you very much for coming and joining us. It was, a, it was an interesting talk, and um, it's given me some things to think about that we're going to have to look into for next week's show. You're welcome. It was always a pleasure. Okay, well, that brings us to this week's community question. What are your first thoughts on the console version of Star Trek Online? Let us know by commenting on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO286, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or reply to us on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. 
again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs. Here's the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. Thomas Maroney at Cryptic underscore TTC. Salt Vampire meme in honour of The Man Trap, the first episode of Star Trek to air today, 50 years ago. Uh, and there's... <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's a nice little picture of a salt vampire. Is that what they're actually called, the salt vampire? Or is that just yep, what the it. community has dubbed them? <laughs> yeah, I think it's that's what it is. Yeah, uh, and it's it says all these flavors, and you choose to be salty. Nice. It is a good one. Ian Richards at sto underscore jam jams tweeted, "It's a real honor to be part of the driving force that is Star Trek. Here's to many more years. See you all among the stars." Hashtag Star Trek Fifty. And finally, Al Rivera at Captain Gecko tweeted, We ate breakfast with Denise Crosby at the Foundry. I thought you Foundry authors might appreciate that. Yeah, it was from Mission New York. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. For PC players, don't forget the Mirror Invasion event finishes this Thursday, the 15th. You have just a few days left to complete the daily event queue, and collect multi-dimensional transporters in order to earn yourself a pile of Dilithium Marks and an exclusive Admiralty card. Hot in its heels though, will be a Junior Officer Weekend from the 15th to the 19th. 50% more commendation experience and run the Particle Collection at the Academies to earn bonus duty officers. Looking longer term, there's a bonus experience point event still coming at the end of the month. For console players, from the 15th to the 19th of September, it is your chance to earn a bit more Dilithium on the Dilithium Weekend event. Also, from the 22nd to the 26th of September, take advantage of the Item Upgrade Weekend and upgrade your gear faster. Of course, as always, events are subject to change without notice. Make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. Now, let's check in with Jake with some more exciting Trek merchandise on the promenade. Welcome back. I'm Cookie Cupcakes. And I'm Jake Cobb. And this is The Promenade. Cookie, it's great to have you back. Thanks, Jake. Nice to be back. How did it go last time? It was okay, I guess. You were really missed. Oh, what would you talk about? I, um, uh, stamps. Oh, neat. Yep, but, uh, we should, um, we should probably get on with the show. Sure thing. Mate. What? Oh, nothing. You listened to our last segment. Minimates? You talked about Minimates? Another imitation Lego, Jake? But they aren't building toys. When the glamour's away, the tribbles will play. Okay, we'll do this later. We have a show to do. So there you have it. Sometimes your broken heart can be mended by molded plastic figures. Cookie! Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, okay. So, let's get to it. As we say so often at the end of the promenade, we love to hear your feedback. Following our July edition, listener Murray gave us a hot tip. He told us to head over to the Canadian Mint website, that's mint.ca, and check out the Star Trek Fine Silver Coin, and we're glad he did. This 99.99% pure silver $20 coin weighs in at 7.96 grams and sports a 27mm diameter. On the head side of the coin is a side profile of Queen Elizabeth II, encircled by the words Elizabeth II, 
Canada, and DG Regina, from the Latin By the Grace of God and Queen. It's a clean, traditional design that will surely appeal to most coin collectors. The tail side, however, is where, in our opinion, the coin really shines. It features the Constitution-class USS Enterprise from TOS. The classic ship is centered on the coin and has a front-facing three-quarter profile. It overlies a starry background with the 50th anniversary delta featured prominently to its bottom right. Scrolled in the coin in TOS font are the numbers 2016 along the top and fine silver 9999 argent per $20 along the bottom. Looking again at the Enterprise, it is very well crafted and is even depicted firing its phasers. It's a fun, interesting layout that looks dynamic without looking busy. It's really beautiful. This CBS licensed coin can be ordered directly from mint.ca for $20, tax-free, and free ground shipping. Don't like it? Don't worry. There's a 100% money-back guarantee. It has a mintage of 300000 and a limit of 5 per household, but unfortunately is only available in the U.S. and Canada. Sorry, everyone but North America. Thanks again to Murray for the hot tip. So wait, the coin is worth $20, and it costs exactly $20. Where's the profit in that? Where do they make their money selling these? I mean, I guess you wouldn't want to spend it, but if you ever wanted to, you would break even. The Ferengi in me is going crazy right now. You collect rocks, Cookie. <laughs> Whatever, I do not. But anyways, so I found something awesome that I wanted to talk about. Think Geek has done it again, this time with betting. I don't know if it's because of the 50th anniversary of Star Trek or what, but they are on fire with the Star Trek TNG products, which is my favorite series, so I'm loving it. They recently came out with a bed set. This includes a red duvet cover with the image of a giant yellow and white communicator pin in the top right corner. The pillowcases have four large yellow dots, supposed to look like pips, in a row going across. Then sold separately is the sheets, which includes one plain black flat sheet and a black fitted sheet with tiny little gray communicator pins in a pattern all over it. So I love the fact that they're making TNG bedding, don't get me wrong, but I'm not a fan of the overall style of the duvet cover. It's very plain looking. I mean, most of it's just red, like a bright cartoon red. And then the image of the communicator pin also looks kind of weird and cartoonish. I know it's hard to capture gold and silver, but I don't know, I'm just not really a fan of the way that that looks. But if they made the duvet cover in the style that they made the fitted sheets, I would buy it in a hot second. I love the sheets. I think they look really classy. In fact, I'm planning on getting the sheets, but I want to wait a bit and see if they go on sale. I did notice that the thread count was 200, and I honestly don't know much about thread counts, but it is 100% cotton per kale, so it might be okay. I just know that a lot of the comments on this product indicated that the low thread count was not worth the money they're charging. Which is understandable, the duvet cover and pillowcases range from $80 to $90, and the sheets range from $50 to $70, so if you want the full set, that's pretty expensive. Which, by the way, why does the pillowcases not come with the sheets? Right? That is so odd. I don't get that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty pricey. Aren't the sheets just black? Can't you just go to Kmart and get black sheets? Well, the flat sheet is black, but the fitted sheet has that communicator pin pattern that I really oh, like. Oh, right, right. That's the one I would want, so. Ah, uh, I gotcha. But yeah, you'd think it would be a higher thread count if it was that expensive, is what people are saying. Side note, check out the descriptions on some of the items that Think Geek puts out. 
Some of them are quite funny, like the description for this bedding, and I quote, Originally, we considered offering a reproduction of the bedding seen on Star Trek The Next Generation, but most of it was shiny and looked incredibly uncomfortable, and for some reason required you to include vegetation in your headboard, so we decided to go with this instead. End quote. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. All of them are quite clever. I've, I've noticed a lot of their descriptions are like that. Good rated. Yes. So, there you have it. Sometimes lousy internet makes for a tough segment. Inside joke. Links to the items discussed can be found in the show notes, so please be sure to check them out. Have any comments about the segment or anything discussed herein? We'd love to hear them, so let us know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, or in the comments section. And remember, you keep an eye on the stars. We'll keep an eye on the market. Until next time. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's in Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Our community question this week was from Star Trek Online News. What do you think about the console launch date or about 3D printing your own ship? Neela wrote on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Fleet Kaferi for the win. Yes, I am a happy person now. Also, my banished Andorian girls and banished Orion girls will have a presence on Xbox moving up in the world and going to conquer everything. Hashtag STO rules. Tyler Maxwell replied to our forum post, Hooray for the console launch! A nice early birthday present for Star Trek and fans alike. Star Trek's birthday being on Thursday the 8th. Happy 50th! Smiley face. Those 3D printed ship models look awesome! The material layers are pretty obvious looking up close, and the text printing on one of the models looks kind of blotted, but otherwise excellent and well detailed for their size. Uh, Yes, you do see the layering of the 3D printing, right? There's just no way around that at this point. The thing about it is, is that, I mean, for it being a 3D printed ship of your ship in Star Trek Online, you got to have a little bit of, of give there, mm-hmm. right? You have to mm-hmm. be forgiving yep. a little bit about the, the way 3D printed technology is now. Sure, down the road, it'll probably be even more detailed and you'll see those that layering even less. But, you know, from if, if you put this on, uh, you know, a, like a top shelf of your desk or something like that, uh, nobody's going to be able to, to tell, you know, that look that scrupulously at the that 3D print quality that you get. And even saying that, it's still amazing 3D print quality. You have to really just be unforgiving of the technology to 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 hate these 3D prints. But yeah. and they're gorgeous. I mean, these ships are just magnificent. I cannot wait to get one of my ships printed. Speaking of wanting more than one ship, Starbase UGC at Starbase UGC tweeted, and I'm going to kind of do this try and do this like Gollum because this is the way it sounds. Want all the ships, once all of them, my precious. Kukulin74 at STO underscore Shane also tweeted, Console launch can only help the game's health. Need to see the models closely, but so far, wow. James Select commented on our Facebook post, The 3D printing seems too good to be true as far as it being affordable for me. So I'm in the wait and see mode. The console launch caught me completely by surprise, but I'm not complaining. It's got a few kinks, but I'll be on PS4 and PC for the long haul. 
Well, 3D printed ship prices was a hot topic in our feedback, actually. Many listeners indicated excitement with the caveat of price. Well, all right, so I'm curious, right? Here's a, here's a midway community question. What do you think would be a reasonable price for 3D printed ships of this detail? Now, before you reply, please try to do your research on what it costs to do 3D printing at this detail and at this level, right? They're 12-inch model ships with the coloring in the 3D print, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the plastic, yeah, they're not, they're uh, not and painted. that level of detail. So, yeah. so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious what people are expecting to pay for for these type of 3D printed ships. Yeah, me too. Mm, I'm not going to say it. I'd certainly pay $60 for it. That's what I was going to say. I don't understand that reference, but I, I'll giggle anyway. That's because you don't listen to the show. Mm. Right. That's true. Well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Finally, Sean Newboy commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Wonderful show, everyone. I don't have a console, so meh. My fleet motor group will be immortalized. I just have to figure out what to pack up to fit it in. Captains, remember how we wanted to highlight your stories on the show? Well, this week we hear from listener Richard. Longtime listener, first time writer, as requested. You asked that we share our stories of how we got into Star Trek. Well, here's mine. Sometime when I was about six or seven years old, a kid at school came up to me and said, Your eyebrows look like Spock. I'd never heard of Spock before, and I didn't really appreciate being called a name that I didn't understand. I can't remember the first episode that I saw but I eventually did learn who Spock was, and boy how that changed my life. I've seen every episode of every series, every movie, and have read dozens of books. Throughout high school, that nickname, Spock, stuck, and I was in college when Star Trek The Next Generation's final episode aired. I felt as though I had lost really good friends. It was such an emotional experience for me, seeing a group of people with whom I grew up just disappear. It's still my favorite TV show of all time. I suppose I owe that little kid quite a bit for calling me that name. I didn't even know his name. Well, I'm really sorry, actually, that we didn't get to read the entire email because uh, Richard wrote a very lengthy email with more stories in there, and it was really, really great to read. So, Richard, thank you for the time that you took to, to write that to us. We really appreciated it, and we really loved reading it. Richard, thank you so very much for sharing. And remember, Captains, we want to hear your stories, so please share them with us. So shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, and we'll be sure to read them on the show. Well, that wraps up episode 286 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here are our community questions for this week. What are your first thoughts on the console version of Star Trek Online? And if you're thinking of getting your ship 3D printed, knowing what 3D printing is today, how much would you pay for one of your ships? Captains? You know we love hearing from you, so shoot us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. You can even tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. And now you can be awesome and leave us a voicemail for free via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget right on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. And more importantly, help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. 
If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald. With assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria Depost, and Gavin Lawarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. And as always, in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Winters. Howdy, Howdy ho, folks. folks. <laughs> now, we've already seen some previews of the new lighting thanks to the weekly lighting update blogs. And for those of you who are... Hardy har har. Hardy har har. You can probably start for Do you know what I'm I'm, ta- I'm I'm going to take my glasses off. Okay. Do you want to change? Do you want to get some like new trousers on? Get a snack? <laughs> we did I'm promise sorry. two minutes of incoherent babbling, so here it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna turn the brightness down. Then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, take my glasses off. I know I'm off. having a diva okay. moment, but I am actually really struggling hair. today. Hang on, I gotta go fix up my lipstick. <laughs> okay, you do that. We'll wait. That's what I usually <laughs> do. It's like, hang on. <laughs> anyway. Take 27. Are you ready now? <laughs> you hear me now. Brace yourself, Ernie. You're in for a bumpy ride. <laughs> okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> relax. Deep breath, relax. Downward-facing dog. I have noticed that not having my glasses and turning the brightness down has helped. Oh, right. Excellent. I might not need glasses anymore. I'm cured! Priority One Podcast has cured me. Now, how do we segue into the hell? <laughs> <laughs> So I found, okay, so Think Geek, you know, because they come out with, never mind, I'm not even going to ad-lib that. I already wrote this down. (laughs) 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 I'm just re-repeating myself. Let me try that one more time. My K pronunciation is a little delayed today. (laughs) Side note, oh, I bought my elbow on the chair. Okay, let's try it one more time. Side note. (laughs) (laughs) Number four. Here we go. (laughs) Okay. Have any comments about the segment or anything discussed? Oh, sorry. (laughs) My never mind. I don't even want to tell you which is. (laughs) No, no, no. You can't. You can't do that. You have to tell me. No, 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 no. No. Okay.
Have any comments <laughs> about the? <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> and see what's incoming. Oh, whoops! Sorry. <laughs> what the internet started messing up, and I thought you were done, but you weren't. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where are we starting from? I don't know. Read the hashtag. Oh, forget about that again. Hashtag STRules. But uh, and they're gorgeous. I mean, these ships are just magnificent. I cannot wait to get one of my ships printed. One, <laughs> more than one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of takes us on to our next tweet from. My birthday's October nineteenth. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Remind that me was to ask subtle. a question that about was nice. the, of the show. I was doing a really good transition there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I'll read that first part, and then you read the email. Oh, fine. So last, last week we, we did, did the email week. first, and then you did the blurb. But now you'll do the blurb, and I'll do the email. Okay. Wait, what? Nah. Just read the script. <laughs> 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 There's no banter in there, so we need to stop bantering. <laughs> read the script. <laughs> okay.